0: Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com.
1: Hey, Para fans! This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth where you can choose from over hundred Thousand titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
0: Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when the mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> so, it's time Radio. What's up Parafans? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. I like the Yodel. Oh, thank you. I've been working on it, you know. That's what I do late at night. Um
1: <laughs> you, you Yodel to yourself while you're just sleeping. <laughs> <at> you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. <laughs>
0: Folks, while you're listening to the show tonight, check out our website at paratruthradio.com where you can learn more about us and what we do. Also, feel free to look into our Patreon account at paratruthradio.com and help us to continue bringing the world fresh, entertaining media each and every week.
1: And by contributing, you'll become an executive producer of an upcoming episode of Paratruth Radio and officially become part of the Paratruth family. Which will include special monthly behind-the-scenes access to our production, which Eric has been working on for everybody who already has donated. Indeed. Yes.
0: <laughs> It'll be around in about a week or two. A little busy this week, but, you know. <laughs> anyway, folks, if you're just joining us today for the first time ever, welcome. We're glad you're tuning in. Uh, we think you're going to really enjoy the show. For the rest of you who've been with us through the long haul, Welcome back. We're glad you're here, and we hope you're excited for another awesome night of paranormal. I'm going to say paranormal activity, but we're not doing any paranormal activity here. It's just radio. <laughs> anyway, tonight we have a, a, another discussion just between Justin and I. No guest today, but that is okay because sometimes it's a nice little breather, you know, mm-hmm. to just be on our own. So, with that said we are going to jump into some very interesting discussion about war. Yes. Why war? Well, war tends to conjure up some paranormal things. We'll get into that in just a moment. Now, Parachute presents World War Paranormal. Over the centuries, hundreds of stories have appeared worldwide, reporting horrific beasts stalking cities and countrysides, water, and the sky. Sometimes they show up randomly in graveyards, and sometimes they manifest themselves during war. Folks, this is our stories of the paranormal happening between World War One and World War Two. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Funny thing, we're gonna. I'm gonna go ahead and put this out there because why not? We've actually tried doing this episode once before, about a month ago, and we weren't quite prepared because we actually had a guest on and the guest canceled on us. And so we tried to come up with something quickly. This was one of the things that our back pocket. And we realized that during editing, I got a little uh, text message from Justin saying, we're not doing a show this week. <laughs> <laughs> we're not uploading. <laughs> Whatever we did was no good. So, Hey, you know what? Some people wouldn't come out and say that they messed up on an episode. We were not so prideful.
1: Yeah. Well, and so, I think what really messed us up was, I mean, the rabbit hole goes way deeper than what we thought. So uh, as as we got into stuff, we're like, yeah, we're just kind of rambling on and on and on. So it was something that uh, I think we just needed to do a little more research on. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So I didn't even read it at all. Justin just or uh watch it, listen to it listen to
0: it. What am I talking about? <laughs> I didn't listen to it at all. Uh but Justin, you know, told me probably probably best just to take the the, the week off. So, you know, what he says goes most of the time. <laughs> anyway, uh let's get off this little rabbit trail. <laughs> what do you want to talk about first? We have a couple of different monster stories to tell you here that are paranormal that happened in World War One and World War Two. Um Anyone particularly that you
1: want to start off with? Um, I figured we could start off with the ones from World War One and lead into World War Two. Uh, okay. The one I wanted to start out with, just because it's really brief, and uh, I want to get into the the other one a little bit more. But uh, during a sea battle during World War One, there was a battle between a German U boat and a uh, an American ship. And the American ship, the German ship ended up, German U-boat ended up uh, prevailing and found this creature coming after them. Now, the U-boats were very powerful. They had missiles, uh, water, water missiles, I guess you could call them. Um, and uh, it shot this thing, blowing it to pieces. Now, the creature was saw by a couple of soldiers. One was the captain of the U-boat and some of the, the sailors that were on there. And they described it with a very long snout, almost lizard-like, and it was almost like a, a alligator. They had given it to a professor or a scientist uh, to, to look through the stories and this person had said that it almost sounds like a prehistoric version of an alligator that lived depending on your opinion between thousands of years ago to millennia ago. So um, it was an interesting one. They didn't elaborate a whole lot on it because it is just eyewitness accounts.
0: Hmm. So we got a Nessie of some sort, possibly a plesiosaur, or maybe, in the water, whether or not it's a monster or, you know, a uh, dinosaur of some sort, who's you say? I'll tell you one thing that I know for sure. The word you're looking for, your water missiles, is probably the word torpedoes. Torpedo, that's it. <laughs> but water missiles is a good try. I like water missiles. For now, <laughs> I'm submarine shoot <to> water missiles. <laughs> I'm turning into my <laughs> wife. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, good stuff. Anyway. All right. Let's go on to the next, shall we? All right. All right. Uh, let's talk about the Angel of Mons real quick. Okay. That was kind of brief, too, folks. The Angel of Mons. So during the Battle of Mons, World War I, Battle of Mons, during uh, August 22nd and 23rd in 1914, there was a tedious fight uh, between the Germans. And the British soldiers. Uh, now at the time the Germans are thrown back, we, even though the British soldiers had sustained fatal wounds. Now in these, this particular fight, everyone was looking for a ray of hope, you know, some kind of miracle. And on April 24th of 1915, the British Spiritualist magazine produced a column detailing, uh, basically the strange some strange events that had, I guess, taken place during the Battle of Mons. Uh, apparently, several angel, angels descended from the heavens with bows in their hands to defend the British army. Now, many claims came from the battlefield itself. And whether or not these are true, you know, very few people have actually come forward to say, hey, this is what happened. But this magazine says that several people have come forward um, with varying details. The story became such an inspiration to the masses, uh, the British, the French and the Russians, that any claims of it being false were taken as treason at the time, which is pretty crazy because, you know, you you think of these stories here in America, you know, it's no big deal. You either believe it or you don't. But this is a time in which it was such an important uh, uh, ray of hope in this battle, in this war that's actually considered treason if you deny such a claim. I mean, that's kind of messed up, really. Yeah. So much for
1: freedom. Right. A supernatural uh, claim, no less. Yeah. Uh,
0: But the leaders seemed to be uh, deliberately spreading the legend as they delivered sermons to inspire the worried soldiers. Uh, However, there was another tale of, of course, a much more fearsome creature during the uh, Battle of Mons. And that's something I think we really want to talk more about because there's just not much on this angel thing. But there is
1: a lot on a little-known creature, the Hound of Mons. Yeah, and the Hound of Mons is one that, uh, Eric's good friend decided to tell us about because it, it's a little known one, um, and it's kind of elaborates on a, a show we did, an episode we did a couple of months ago, uh, which is Hellhounds. And, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Hound of Mons is supposedly this Hellhound or Phantom-like creature. So Eric, go ahead right. and tell them a little bit of a description there.
0: Yeah, so there was a chronicle that was published in 1919 by Canadian veteran F.J. Newhouse describing the story of a gigantic uh, hound of sorts that supposedly mauled over British soldiers in no man's land. That alone is pretty interesting because we have here one story about angels defending the Brits, mm-hmm. and now we have uh, a story about a hellhound, which is defending the Germans. Um, this hellhound mauled over the British soldiers in no man's land. Uh. The publishing by Newhouse claimed that this hound wasn't your typical hellhound or phantom, though many did believe that. Uh, there were a number of different um, views on what was happening. Basically, uh, several people went out on patrol on November 14th, 1914, and they never returned. And after many days, uh, their cadavers were recovered with teeth marks on their throats. That's interesting in and of itself. Yep. Nights later, a petrifying howl was supposedly heard in the darkness. Uh, from then on, more and more soldiers would end up dying in no man's land and were found with these same imprints on their throats. Uh, some stories even say that these men were torn apart, not just that their throats were ripped out, but that their limbs were ripped from you know from their bodies and they were just mauled and so on and so forth. Uh, and then every now and then a howl was heard. Uh, eventually people started saying that they were seeing some kind of big gray brooding dog, uh, on the grounds of no man's land. And of course, after so many days of it appearing, it just vanished and was never seen again. Now, there's a couple of interesting things here, uh, to bring up for discussion because some people have claimed when there, you know those who were on the battlefield at the time, that it was some type of spirit, some type of hellhound, uh, something that was able to just come and go as it pleased, uh, almost vanishing into thin air. However, there was another story that claims that this hellhound was actually some kind of genetic experiment that was created by the Germans. And I think that's something we should probably talk about because that's something that's, I think, is coming up recently. You know, I seen it on my Facebook feed recently uh, about these type of genetic experiments uh, where you can take someone's mind and implant it into someone else's mind or something else's mind. And in that case, that's what happened here. According to F.J. Newhouse, uh, he said Dr. Gottlieb Hochmuller had been performing an array of experiments to develop a powerful weapon to sway the war in Germany's favor. Apparently, he roamed from one asylum to the next before he finally found a man who had just gone completely mad for his hatred in uh, his hatred for England, he then extracted the brain out of the madman, with the consent of the German government, and inserted it into a skull of a Siberian wolfhound. Now, while the madman, of course, died, the dog, who was tenderly nursed and raised from a pup, Grew into a very powerful and notorious creature. And this is what many believe was the hound of Mons that went out and started killing the Brits. There was a video on Facebook the other day that was talking about some kind of experiments being done that are actually being done where they remove the head of a mouse of two mice and they swap the heads and see if by doing so the personality of the mouse changes on the other body. Apparently, there's been some type of success with this. I don't know if that's true, or if it's just somebody making up stories. Of course, obviously, eventually what they want to do, and I... Oh, God, I don't even know. You I know, hope not. They want to move on to human exper- experimentations
1: where they're swapping human heads with human bodies. This has actually been talked about on mainstream media, at least on the radio in, in my town. So... Mm-hmm yeah I
0: mean it's a pretty crazy
1: thing to think that this
0: is even possible yeah but then again you know who the heck knows at this point I mean our technology is getting weird uh you know we know that God has said in the Bible that things are gonna get like this before he comes back so people are simply trying to play God now the question is whether or not the Germans had this technology and ability to do such back in 1919 or 1914. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, with World War II, I mean the SS and the Nazi regime. I mean, there was numerous experiments going on with that. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, so I could see that the experiments were going on before that because, just like in World War Two, World War One, the enemy was the Germans. Right. So uh, I I could foresee that they probably just continued their experiments in into World War Two. And uh, you know, I think they just got way more gruesome coming into World War II. So, mm-hmm. uh, I how true it is that this experiment was a success? I'm on the fence about because, to my knowledge, there's no real scientific proof that you can transplant a human's brain into an animal and have it live. Right. So. Um, I, I could foresee them experimenting with it, but I don't know if it was a success where they used this creature against, uh, the allied forces.
0: Right. Well, you know, one thing that was interesting about this story is that there were, uh, some descriptions of the creature. And of course, the one I'd already mentioned is that, uh, he was gray. He's mm-hmm. big and gray. Siberian Wolfhound, for those of you who don't know what a Siberian wolfhound is, uh you know, they're giant dog with very with gray, typically gray, light brown, um long what am I looking like straggly hair? Is Mm. straggly the word I'm looking for, maybe? I don't Mm. even know. Almost Uh, you know straw like hair. Yeah, almost straw like. You know, they're pretty rough looking dogs. You you see one on the street, you're not gonna cross it. Mm. (laughs) You know? Um and of course that's fine. Okay. We got a dog. However, what's interesting about it is the howl, which apparently was mysteriously creepy. I'm like, you know, we, we all heard dogs howl. And this is something that was so horrific to these men. I mean, these are men on a battlefield killing each other, and they're scared of a howl. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to imagine something weird there. But also, this creature had glowing red eyes. Now, Obviously, changing or trying to put a person's mind or brain into a dog isn't going to give it to glowing eyes. Right. So now you have to question, was there some type of other genetic experimentation done on it to give it glowing eyes, or was it not a genetic experimentation at all, but instead some type of phantom dog mm. uh, that was capable of doing this? Now, the only other thing I can think of that might go against the phantom dog is how can a phantom dog do as much damage as it did to a human body? We've never had such, you know, we've never had any historic evidence of a demonic entity, for example, when you think of exorcisms coming out and killing people without first possessing them or something like that, uh, and leaving marks such as these ruse and bite teeth and ripping people apart. So, you know, I don't know what this was or what this could be. Um, for all we know, it could just simply be a story, you know. And you figure some of these men have gone out on the field. Uh, they're patrolling. They happen to step on a landmine. Their body gets ripped to shreds. It might look like their throats are mauled, but it's probably scrap uh, shrapnel. Uh, it could be, you know, it, it blown their arms off their bodies, things like that. And of course, naturally, you might think, oh, this looks like something a giant beast would have done, and not a grenade or a landmine. So, you know, what do you, what is it? You know, we don't know. We don't have the people around right now to talk to us, right. you know, and tell us, hey, what did you see that day, and why do you believe, you know, whatever it is, the story you're telling us.
1: Well, if they're hearing, if they're hearing a howl, if they are hearing that how they think it's something, uh, demonic or monstrous in nature. That, that would make you assume that they're going to start seeing it because their fear is already heightened by the battle. So it's going to be something that they're seeing. Um, to comment on what you are saying about, uh, the physicality of a <laughs> demon on humans. Yes, I don't think there's any been, been any documentation, um, as far as that gruesome, but I mean, look at how many cases that we've seen in paranormal investigation where somebody has been slapped, scratched. What? I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was done by a spirit. I mean, people play pranks on each other all the time and then claim it as paranormal evidence. But there, I, I believe that some of those cases are actually true as well. But yeah, I, I, I agree what you're saying as far as we've never seen the phys- that much of a physicality. Right. Um, so it, it's something to to think about uh, while we get into World War II because I'll bring up something that uh, may play a part in this, folks. So before we get into that, we're going to go to our first break, and we will be right back with Paratruth Radio. Now,
0: Eric friend of fact of the day. Let's face it, how many times do we look into our wallets and realize that we are strapped for cash? Once? Maybe twice a day? Well, you're not alone. According to FactScience.com, about 69% of Americans have less than 1000 U.S. dollars in savings. So the next time you look into your wallet, just remember, you're in the majority. This was Eric's hey, this is Eric, and you're about to listen to the audio trailer of my short film, The Revealed, which is now streaming worldwide. Check it out at ericskiback.com, parachutesradio.com and YouTube. The links are provided in the description of this episode.
1: Start from the beginning. When did it all begin? Hello. I kids <laughs> at Old Church.
0: This has led many scholars to question whether the God that we serve is truly omnipotent, omniscient,
1: spiritual or simply a New Age extraterrestrial, while others are led to question, are we truly alone in the universe?
0: So, these dreams,
1: they're different this time around. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And we've been talking about World War Paranormal. Now we discussed the Hound of Mons, the Angels of Mons, and a sea creature encounter during World War One.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now during World War Two, uh, one of the only things that I really came across was that of the Gremlins. Did you come across right. anything else during World War Two? No, sir. Okay. The gremlins are pretty much our mainstay here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean other than the the atrocities done by the Nazi regime but right um, the Gremlins are an interesting topic because as far as I've seen there's no physical evidence of these creatures uh, what did you come across uh
0: I mean, you're right. I mean, there seems to never really be much physical evidence uh, when it comes to these guys because they're here one moment and gone the next. Uh, the majority of the people who claim to have seen these creatures have seen them right before their airplanes have gone down or some type of mal- some type of malfunction happened uh, with their gauges uh, on the airplane um sometimes and not to mention these are thousands you know hundreds of miles up in the sky. Uh, mm-hmm. you know we just don't really have much on. Uh, the creature itself, right? Other than eyewitness
1: accounts, right? And it's it's just funny because the origin of the modern term gremlin is disputed, but it is often said to derive from the Old English word grem, which means to vex or annoy. And in most cases, these creatures are supposedly uh, tricksters. They're they're malevolent creatures. Uh, Gnome, imp-like, or even demonic in nature. Uh, they play on the electronics of, I honestly think it's happened more than just airplanes, but most tales that you come across are from airplane malfunctions, like you were saying, mm-hmm. pilots seeing them on their, their planes, Um I believe when we did the research the first time, you had come across some instances where they were helpful as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Doesn't happen often. However, there is one very
0: famous story, or I should say at least a story by a very famous person, uh, in which these gremlins did help. Uh, The most famous alleged gremlin account was... Uh, came from an American aviator, author, inventor, military officer, explorer, and social activist. Guess who? Charles Lindbergh. <clears throat> Charles Lindbergh. As he was engaged in his historic non-step solo flight over the Atlantic from New York to Paris in May of 1927. Now, interesting thing, folks. Lindbergh had been flying uh, his single-engine, single-seat plane, Spirit of Lewis, from Roosevelt uh, Field in Garden City, New York, to Le Bourget Field in Paris, France, which was about 3,600 miles uh, across, or or about 3,600 mile distance. Uh, basically, it's a 33 and a half hour flight, and was the very first of its kind ever. Now, according to Charles, in the ninth hour of being airborne, Charles reported that he had suddenly felt somewhat de- somewhat detached from reality and found himself surrounded by some type of several vaporous, strange-looking beings, and that these beings were within his cabin. Now, mind you, this is a single-engine, single-seat plane, very, very small cabin. However, these creatures were in there with him. Now, according to him, these creatures spoke to him and demonstrated incredible, complex knowledge of navigation and flight equipment. Of course, what's interesting about this is, unlike creating mischief, like many of the other accounts have reported, these gremlins actually kept him company, kept him alert, and reassured him that he would remain safe on his entire journey. Of course, Lindbergh, for whatever reason, kept this experience to himself for quite a few years until the account was finally published in his 1953 book, the spirit of St. Louis. Why he would have kept it a secret for so long. I mean, I I can think of a couple reasons maybe, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) you know, when you're in a position like him, you don't want anything that's going to make you sound crazy. You know, when you just made this flight, but, uh, nonetheless, he came out and said that he found these creatures, uh, but I think what's cool is that these creatures vary from each other. You know, unlike hellhounds or unlike certain ghost entities that are very similar in appearance, these have been de- uh have been described in a number of different ways. Uh some being as tall, I think there's some that are like really tall. Yeah. Some being as tall as three feet and some being as small as six inches. What did you say something? Mm Uh, Um, now in some cases they were described as being little elvish like beings, uh, very similar to humans wearing bright red hats, uh, or double, I'm sorry. Wearing bright red, double breasted frock coats or green, depending on, you know, which one is there, uh, old fashioned hats with feathers and pointed shoes. I'm starting to get this type of, uh, Smurfs vibe going on here. With shirts.
1: With German, uh, this, with German attire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Uh, the description says that the skin color would be between green or gold, pink or red. Uh, others gave the entities more of a sinister appearance, saying that they looked animalistic with hairy bodies, large pointed ears, deep red, or even glowing eyes and horns, which actually reminds me of a uh, uh, of a mare, which is a small demon which sits on your chest and gives you nightmares at mm-hmm. night, uh, according to legend. Um, and yet, of course, still other reports speak of gremlins having a hairless gray skin uh, and horns. And then, of course, there are some being reptilian in appearance, in appearance uh, and having a mouth full with tiny, pointy teeth. So uh, quite a few different... Appearances for these for these uh, gremlins, and you know, I have to question whether some of these are maybe naturally good, and some of them are naturally bad. You know, you got good and evil gremlins. I don't know. Uh, and of course, obviously, we had just mentioned a little bit ago that some are in a spirit like form or a mist. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a—I don't know what you call them. I guess I don't know what I would call them. I'm trying to think of now. Nah, I was going to say races, but that's not right. Um, not nationalities, because we don't know where they're from. They're
1: Where's from Germany. Germany? What? I said they're from Germany. They're from Germany. Yeah.
0: Anyway. All right. We'll skip that part. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me
1: on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. Um...
0: So the Gremlin is it's a pretty cool creature, I think, overall. You know, I mean it's it's interesting that that there'd be some that are mischievous while well, some would help you. And there's actually been a few stories that have come out regarding Gremlins, one of course being the most famous, the movie Gremlins. <laughs> uh <laughs> And of course, there is the movie, or not movie, but, uh, well, I guess it's kind of a movie. Uh, but from the Twilight Zone, there was, mm. what the heck was the name of that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know the name of it by chance?
1: I don't know the name of the episode, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there was an yeah. episode where this guy is flying, flying on a, I believe, an international flight. I could be wrong there. But then this thing is, like, ripping the wing apart and mm-hmm. comes up to the window and scares the guy, and everybody's like, Telling him there's nothing wrong with the plane, calm down, you're scaring everybody. And then as they land, it pans over to the airplane and the wing is all torn up and, and, uh, damaged. So, uh, it's, yeah, that, that's one. Actually, uh, R.L. Stein did a gremlin either book or episode with goosebumps. Okay. Um, I believe it was on the Goosebumps TV series and it was a gremlin that was, uh, in the computer uh, of a teenage boy and causing havoc and, and malicious intent on this mm-hmm. family. So even in modern day tales, they're being portrayed as malicious instead of helpful. Right.
0: Uh Real quick, I just wanted to say that the name of the Twilight Zone episode was called A Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Um, and then, of course, there was a Twilight Zone movie in which it was called A Face in the Window.
1: So, interesting, interesting. So, one thing that comes to mind for World War II was the SS, a section of the Nazi regime was experimenting with paranormal and occult practices. Mm -hmm. So going into that mindset, do you think, because it could have happened that they were doing it in World War I too, it just wasn't as extensive. Do you think that maybe the Nazi regime opened doorways during this time? Absolutely. Uh, There's no question about it. There's, you know, we've
0: talked about this num- numerous times. There's people who, you know, mediums, for example, or witchcraft or anyone who, and it doesn't even have to be a medium or a witch, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry for lack of a better term other than witch, but, <laughs> you know, uh, people who practice divination and, you know, Wicca and paganism, uh, certain pagan practices uh, in which you're conjuring up spirits. Uh, and of course, just normal people like you and I, who, not that we do this, by the way, we don't, but seances, you know, using a Ouija board, things like that, everything seems innocent when you're doing it, but then you unlock that door, and suddenly things start going crazy, uh, and there's a normal uh, a number of different people out there who have claimed such, you know, where they're practicing one of these styles of communication, if you will, mm-hmm. with a spirit, uh, and it ends up manifesting itself, even though they don't believe in ghosts, um, and, and of course, the same thing happens with people who listen to music, that they they personally shouldn't be listening to. I know we have a friend uh, who, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be on relatively soon uh, who claims such thing where she was attacked by some type of spirit because she listened to music that she shouldn't have been listening to. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it, music doesn't affect everyone the same way, but depending on where you are in your walk, uh, depending on uh, how you... um. I, I, can't, I can't think of the right word, but I would say a certain vibe that you send out regarding the spiritual nature of the universe. Intentive, um, I guess. Because Yeah, you know, it's like some people just happen to be more open and prone um, to some type of demonic attack or something by doing something very simple, such as listening to music. Or there's other
1: things going on that you don't necessarily claim to have been doing. <laughs> right, that would right, right.
0: Added to that. Right, there's so many things out there. But, you know, for... A very short answer made long, yes, I think that the Germans very well could have opened up some kind of door. And, of course, I think the door has always been open. The door has been here for well, centuries, you right. know, millennia even. Um, but regardless, I, I definitely think that during wartime, these guys, the Germans, were very much capable of opening that door, whether willingly or unwillingly, to top that off there's a lot of stress going on, a lot of killing during war, which naturally would open a door again, unwillingly opening yourself to something.
1: It happens. Well, yeah. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind with talking about the uh, different gremlins, and mm. it, I know I'm going to get an eye roll here, but um, different extraterrestrials that were, Allied with the allies and allied with the Nazis. What are your thoughts?
0: Extraterrestrials. You're telling me aliens
1: were allied with one or the other? Supposedly our US government is well, our governments are in cahoots with numerous extraterrestrial species, so that's why why I mention it. Hmm. <laughs> I'm doing the eye roll on the inside this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't mean just from you. I meant from certain listeners no. too.
0: I, you know what? I think. Uh, look, obviously, I can't say no. I can't deny it because I don't have access to right. We don't any no. of their paperwork. Right. You know, I don't. I don't have access to the documentation. But I think it's very far fetched. I think it's hard to believe um, that for years the government has been able to secretly work with aliens and keep it under wraps for this long. Despite the fact that many people claim to have seen UFOs, my question is, why have so many people seen UFOs and never seen the aliens? Unless, of course, those UFOs aren't alien by nature, but instead just, who knows what? It could be a government project, it could be, uh, we have drones flying around now, you know, never thought that would happen, yeah. but we have drones flying around, you know, you never know what that is. Heck, I, I remember last July 4th, um, I was watching fireworks up in Brexville and I looked up, and there's, like, this glowing light just sitting there. It's a red glowing light. I'm like, what the heck is that? Because it wasn't moving or anything, and I know there's no tower there. Mm-hmm. Um And it took a while for my eyes to adjust, and it actually was a flash of a uh, firework that exposed the drone sitting there hovering over my head probably about a good, I don't know, 2,000 feet or so in the, in the air. So, you know, things like that. Where it, it's very disorienting, and you I think it had could be
1: a similar thing happened to me a couple nights ago. Where I, it was just I was driving at night, saw something random out of the corner of my eye, and it's just hovering. I'm like, what the ah? Th-? And then I'm like, ah, oh, it's just a drone. Damn it! Damn it! I thought it was <laughs> a UFO. <laughs>
0: Did you just swear on Paratrooth Radio? No,
1: no, no. That'll be... <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> so, the only reason I bring it up is because during World War II, it was actually, I believe, just after World War II that the um, Roswell incident happened. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I mean, some people even claim today that... The Roswell incident, we were already in cahoots with extraterrestrials before that even happened. Um, so that's why I bring it up. To me, I'm, I'm kind of like you. It, it sounds far fetched, but at the same time, I, I do believe that extraterrestrials out there, I just don't believe that we're in cahoots with them. So, um, there's, I, I honestly, I'm not sure how to, how to come off the fence on this one, because from world war one to world war two, the Germans were constantly experimenting on things that they shouldn't have been experimenting on. Uh, Mm -hmm. is, is there a possibility that all of these accounts are nothing more than people's nerves being on edge and it's, it's wartime. People are seeing and hearing things out of fear I think that's a huge possibility. I think it is is a good possibility that some of this stuff might have happened. Mm -hmm. But like the account of the Hound of Mons being made from a dog-human-brain hybrid, I don't think that's necessarily the case. If if nothing else, what I really think it comes down to is the possibility of the Germans opening doorways. Mm -hmm. What about yourself? I I agree with you. I mean I think that's that's
0: a very likely uh probability there. Um it, it, there's really not much more you can say about it, you know. Like yeah. there's no real explanation as to why these creatures be showing up other than the fact that war is war, you know, mm-hmm. Satan enjoys that kind of stuff. Um and it happens to manifest things. Um, you know, stress, we've talked about this in the past, stress can manifest something. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear can manifest something. Depression can manifest something. Some people think that all those things, stress, fear, depression, etc are actually the cause of something mm-hmm. as opposed to us bringing something in, into our, our lives. Uh, something decided to show up in our life and cause it to us. Um, so now whether or not you believe depression and fear and anxiety is a demon in and of itself, you know, to each their own. But, you know, those are definitely possibilities that would manifest some type of creature or some type of demonic entity or whatever it is these people, these guys are seeing out there Mm. on the battlefield or in the air. So, all right, folks, we're going to go ahead and take our second and last break of the evening. You are currently listening to Paratruth Radio, and we'll be right back after Justin's Paranormal Headlines. And now, Paratruth 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 Radio's Radio's Paranormal Headlines. headlines. Headlines.
1: What's going on, paratroothers? Justin here with your paranormal headlines, and these headlines are from unexplainedmysteries.com. SpaceX successfully tests Falcon Heavy Rocket. When complete, the gargantuan new rocket will be capable of carrying a crew of astronauts to Mars. Consisting of a large central booster with two smaller ones strapped to either side of it, the Falcon Heavy will be able to lift 140,000 pounds into low Earth orbit. By comparison, the Falcon 9, which has already seen dozens of launches, is only able to carry 50,000 pounds. Unlike the Falcon 9, however, the Falcon Heavy will always be able to send up to 37,000 pounds all the way to Mars making it the ideal rocket for future deep space missions. Now, in a newly released video, SpaceX has demonstrated the first successful test fire of the Falcon Heavy Center Core at the firm's rocket development facility in Texas. If things continue to go well, then the first launch of the rocket is likely to go forward as scheduled later on this year. There are also plans to send two space tourists on a trip around the moon as early as 2018, as well as further plans to send a spacecraft to Mars by 2020. And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines.
0: This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Parade the Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we have been talking about World War Paranormal. Pretty much just about anything and everything, paranormal that happened between World War One and World War Two, or I should say that happened during World War One or World War Two. Um you know, try saying
1: World War One or World War II five,
0: five times, times fast. fast yeah. That <laughs> war really messes you up.
1: Anyway. We're lower one. We're lower. We're lower.
0: Anyway, all right. We are coming out to the end of the show here, unfortunately, but it's okay because that means we'll have a new episode coming at you next week. Absolutely. But before we go ahead and sign off for the evening, I know Justin would like to throw out a little info about what's going on next Sunday.
1: Next week we will be talking to Joshua Cutchin about the Brimstone Deceit and in the excuse me an in depth examination of supernatural sense, otherworldly odors, and monstrous miasmas. And if you don't remember him, we had him on once before. Uh, it was just myself and Josh talking about his book, A Trojan Feast: The Food and Drink Offerings of Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch. So definitely stay tuned for that. Check out paratruthradio.com, check out our Patreon account, check out our different uh, networks that we're on, Fair, uh, Fringe Radio Network and Radio and, Podcast.com. and if you want to hear an interesting episode that I did with Jerry from Tiger For God Radio, go check out her podcast because it is up right now. So, Check all of that stuff out, guys. I am definitely looking forward to uh hearing from you guys as well. Definitely get in touch with us.
0: Mm, indeed.
1: All right, guys. Well, on that note, I think it's time we say goodbye
0: for today. We'll talk to you another time.
1: This isn't a Disney show, man. Hey, it could be. <laughs> anyway. All right, folks. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin.
0: We'll catch you all next week. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode of Paratruth Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can find them at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn,
1: iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and the Fringe Radio Network. Or for a one-time fix of all of your Paratruth needs, simply drop in to paratruthradio.com. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for brand new updates on our show every day. Finally, we love bringing you fresh, entertaining media each and every week, but we can't do it without you. So please check out our Patreon account. Simply go to Fairtruthradio.com, click on the Patreon logo, and help us to continue bringing you the latest and greatest in paranormal research.